some of this. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the pro wrestling edition. And we fill that syringe for injection with another dose of that performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell, in fact, the voice that you hear. Just about ready to unleash yet another power hour or so of combat audio guaranteed to get you fired the heck up. Feel that! Oh, yeah. Tell them, DB. Why is BC so fired up right now? Why am I so excited? Because I was just about done with WWE proper entering this week. And both Raw and SmackDown could hear my cries. They could feel my anger. And they came back with an inspired effort. It restored a little bit of uh, hope and optimism in my soul, if you will. Just when I think I'm out on these people, on this family, on this damn art form, it pulls me back in. This is my show. This is my crusade. And I am the guy who's demanded more that WWE be better. And whether you like me when I'm under them Brooklyn dirty bed sheets or not, you can't deny this week. Change is in the air. The crusade is a success, and BC is fired up again. Whoa, whoa, Vince, that's that's too harsh. But admittedly, a simple thank you from the listeners would be fine, just the same. Yeah, thank you. That's what you should be saying. Shut your mouth and say thank you. Not only will we recap the week that was in WWE, we've got you covered for this weekend's NJPW card in Long Beach as the revolution rolls on. We got NXT Talk, 205 Live, and much, much more. Look, I thought my fan I thought my fandom was over. I might be back. We'll see what happens here, but I'm excited just the same. Let me bring in a guy who who he'll watch wrestling no matter what happens in his life. No matter how good or bad it is, this guy lives for it. He's my co-host. You know his name. Say hello to the bad guy. Oh yeah. Guy loves to hedge, but he's passionate about this art form. His name is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey now, thanks for the extra time this morning. I just got my uh, 2018 taxes done, so now we're ready to do the show. That's great. Well, way ahead we, of the curve. At least we have a show this week. That's at least the, that's... at least we do because despite me saying last week on the show, and I made it very clear, since you're going to go ahead with a Godfather reference off the top, I told you this is the business. We've chosen BC, and you didn't really feel that way. Um, what, Saturday, Sunday, Friday, last week, we were not going into this week with a WWE episode. BC, the man whose name is on the marquee, was going to leave you, dear listener, in the dust for a week because that's how fed up with the product that he was. You got to take a stand sometimes. And then all of a sudden, what happens Monday? I get a little message. You know, that was pretty good. I think they got me back in. And then I get a message Tuesday night. Holy crap, that was awesome. This is what happens. This is what WWE is about. You have to go with the highs and lows. Sometimes no, they're longer than we want really them to be. Don't. You really don't have to go with the highs and lows. You got to speak up and speak out 
when you just can't take it anymore. Why, Adam, why have I not watched consistently the WWE product for the last 34 years of my fandom? Because of stretches like this. Well, wait, but you say you haven't watched consistently. But they can't what does do that, that mean? now. They can't afford I thought you just now. took one break like I did. I had a couple breaks. I had a couple breaks. There, there were full breaks. There were half breaks. There were I'm a raw only break. There's a um, I have an illegal box, so I'm a pay per view only break. There's a lot of different versions of a break, but there's a reason why there's multiple times that I took full year long breaks. It's in a part because of crap like this. But my whole larger point is they can't afford to have crap like this during this time, this era, this year, this month, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know if people can hear that vibration inside my soul, but right when I'm done, they do just enough to, to pull to, you back to, in. to repair and pull them back in. And, and, and does that speak to my weakness? Maybe, but it speaks to them finally stepping up because uh, it wouldn't have been my fault that we didn't have a show this week. It would have been their fault. And, uh, you know, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad for the listeners. WWE that... screwed WWE is what you're saying? I mean, that's the bottom line, and that's, that's, that's not being you know funny and cheeky. It's serious. When, when you have this platform being WWE and this much money and this much tools in front of you, and you consistently put forth a, a program that's just so badly underachieves. Again, why? I just feel like you have been – I feel like you have been overly critical, and it's our job to be critical, and we're critical every week. And this, the genesis of this show, you know, year one – of ITC, really the first six months, was me crapping on every single thing they did and you telling me, dude, it's not that bad. Like, you're really going overboard. And somehow the roles reversed here where I well, – It's a little different. I, you Silver King things, when when things are great, it's like you just – you're not sure if you can just – I have to find the pieces. You yeah. got to find the bad part. You got to you gotta hedge – get angry somewhere. When things are just great, you just got to sit back and enjoy it. I'm but the you're guy taking that's a product, saying, you're taking a product that's like a five or a six right now, not even a six, a five, and treating it like it's a two. Well, because uh, because we've been eating steak. That's that's the bottom line. That's a joke, but that's the serious nature. We've of had it. morsels of in steak. In 2015, the steak didn't taste this good. I was watching wrestling in 2015. WWE was pretty good. There wasn't great competition. In 2018, dude, we're eating steak. We're eating steak every week. But we you do realize that some of the steak we're eating is WWE steak. True, which is an even more glaring sort of finger to point back at them and be like, can't you be more like yourself? Can, you know, I, long debate, whatever. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about something. I like to create scenarios of how we're going to get the overall wrestling product back into a late 90s type of competitive era that would, again, the long-term goal, not to run Vince McMahon out of business, to make Vince McMahon and company be better, to create real competition. And I before pitched wild ideas of, of Vince dying and Shane taking his, his inheritance and going solo. But I was going, I was always, I'm always trying to find some new fun sound for the show. And I found this promo. It just got me all kind of thinking. I've said this before. Let me remind you of this fact. If you are a wrestling fan, it's going to be the best damn wrestling you have ever seen. And if you're not and you come this Saturday, you will become one. Because come hell or high water, we're going to kick their asses. And we're going to give you your money's worth. So that at the end of the night, you won't have to go to a hockey game. You can't go to a baseball game. But you'll have a place where you can appreciate the fact that your dollar is earned. ECW. Are we overlooking that this guy was in his 50s and he's like, you know, the best thing going in wrestling whenever he chooses to be? Like, Lesnar's not going to wrestle forever. Are we, are we, does he have one more rebellious trick up his sleeve and, and we're not realizing that? Because if no, anybody's no, no, no. going to start a revolution no. and be no, the, no, no, no. If anybody no. 
if anybody's equipped. He would be the guy you want as the consultant. So what you would do, if you're fine. really thinking about it, and this is this is kind of something that I talked about a month ago or whenever we were talking uh, all in, is if you're the NWA, you hire Don Callis to be your booker. Maybe you bring in Paul Heyman as a consultant, is what I'm talking about. And that's how you do it. You use that mentality. But Paul's not – look, Paul has a – we don't know what his media empire actually is, but he has something going Right. With a lot of Twitter accounts and, and his Heyman hustle site and the women. I don't exactly know what he has going. Hustle I don't think booty he's temp tats. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. I don't think he's hurting for money. And I don't think he wants the stress in his life to start a professional wrestling organization at age whatever he is right now. Um, he seems extreme. Now, look, he's a great actor. Obviously, he seems extremely happy whenever we talk to him. Two things I want to discuss really quick off the top before we get into the main event. One, just based off that promo. Hell or High Water would be a great name for a pay-per-view. Okay? Yes. that's I just heard that. Number two, Raw on a Monday night, despite us thinking it was not the worst episode the last couple of weeks, had its lowest rating ever. And I think it's important to note, obviously, that the Pittsburgh Steelers played and it's a Monday night football game, and that's bound to happen. But to your point, BC, if WWE books consistently like they did Tuesday night, then fans know that Raw is a must-see show, and they will never have lowest rating ever. People are in the mindset now that it's okay to skip Raw, and it's okay to DVR it and fast-forward through it. And no matter how good or bad the product is, no matter how much you like the storylines or don't, it should be in w- it is in WWE's best interest for fans to never have that mentality. Yeah, it's in their best interest to put forth their best foot forward, and they, they rarely do. But to close on Heyman... Yeah, I don't want him to have the financial burden and and kill himself like he almost did with ECW. But if he was in a consultant overall creative booking role with somebody who had a lot of money, like let's say Sinclair was like, all right, we're going to really go for it now. We got the TV stations. We got the money. We got something here with ROH. Let's bring in Paul and let's try to be number two. Oh, man, I'd be fired up for that. That's all. That's a, a man can dream. Whatever. It's my, but it, it, I mean, it's my show. It's, you know. I run okay, this yep. show around here, not you, That's Jack. why we have long intros and we every week try to figure out how we take Vince down. But Paul would be that guy. <laughs> Which Paul? The, both. Yeah, Paul. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. 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 You got anything else to say before we get in this main event? Uh, no, I'm good. Why don't we get on topic since we started so off topic and move into the main event? This is the main event. So we teased it off the top. There were a pair of red hot storylines this week, thrilling us on both Raw and SmackDown. And really, WWE this week has delivered so far. Now we tape early Wednesdays and we're going to talk about the new Wednesday night WWE lineup a little bit later. But BC... For once, finally, we're going to put SmackDown in the main event of this show, just like WWE should be putting SmackDown, the A-show, in the main event of its shows. Samoa Joe's home invasion angle with AJ Styles to close SmackDown on Tuesday night. I don't have another word other than perfection. Do you agree? Yeah! I mean, you want to talk about reviving you as a fan. I thought Monday was really good. That built the foundation of me coming back. But Tuesday, it's just different, edgy, a taste of the old days, a taste of what we want, unpredictability. 
PG edginess. And I'm going to quickly bring in the voice of, of one of our most loudest voices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kentucky wrong file, long rifle. That's who it is. At Adam X Parsons. Basically, <laughs> Did you say Kentucky long file? <laughs> yeah, all the same thing. He basically said what we were all thinking. He said SmackDown's ending was the PG era version of Austin invading Brian Pillman's house. Yeah, exactly, Adam X. Yeah. And that's how you do it in a PG era. It's like, we're not the guys saying, hey, WWE, I wish it could be like 1998 again. I wish it could be R-rated. No, we're saying we've seen you really do well in the PG setting. Do it! This week, they did it! They banged! He bangs! He bangs! He banged on that door! And the cliffhanger part of that, ending the episode, no reaction from AJ, no idea what happened next. Love it. That's how you get me to care. That's how you get me to want to do this show. That's how you get me. Wow! Yeah! And last week, <laughs> do you remember last week when I played a little Devil's Advocate, when I did a little Silver King during the Hero Zero, and I'm like, you know this AJ, uh, 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 Samoa thing might be the feud of the year, but it could be the feud of my lifetime if they get even more personal. If Joe shows up at AJ's house or has his kids in his hands, they heard me! Now, they didn't hear the show. I'm not that pretentious to believe that. But they know what they're doing. They're building. They're getting there. Damn, this is how you make a feud matter. How to be not just feud of the year, but to really compete for our hearts and souls. And something that you've been saying, you said it on Twitter, you say it all the time, and you're damn right. Samoa Joe is what's making this. Samoa Joe is everything we deserve a 2018 heel to be on WWE's main roster. He is becoming the perfect heel in WWE. And unlike Shinsuke Nakamura, who we wanted to win the the WWE title, but ultimately we were okay that he didn't. I will not be okay if Samoa Joe does not win the WWE title. That is how good he's been in as a heel. He has carried this feud. AJ has done his job. But in this feud, AJ is the B side. Samoa Joe is the A side. He is delivering. And the best possible thing that they could do is have Samoa Joe beat AJ Styles. Daniel Bryan go up against him, lose. Styles wins it back. Miz wins the title. Daniel Bryan, Miz, WrestleMania for the title. Or or even if you want to delay Daniel Bryan, Miz longer, give me Samoa Joe, Daniel Bryan, main event or co-main event of WrestleMania for the WWE title. This guy is money. He's so good. He's so good. And it, it goes deeper than what we originally loved about him when he finally came to Raw. It was to open 2017 because yeah. he does promos in a gangster way because he because he feels real where everybody else feels fake. Now they're giving him more creativity, more leverage. It's amazing from the personal story. We talked about a million times how when he was signed to NXT, they told him straight up, you're probably never leaving NXT. You know, like so. It's amazing to see him make that leap in a short. Period I, do, of time. I still don't get that. It's, it's, I don't. It's, I don't understand that. It's maddening. But to see, to, they're giving him more leash. They're doing more creative stuff now. I'm so excited about where this is going. I, look, I don't know where it's going to go specifically. We all have these attitude era feelings now. Like Adam X Parsons said, yes, of course they gave us. They made it feel like attitude era. Like anything can happen. He's at the house. Oh my god, what's going to happen next? I don't know how graphic. I don't know how they're going to go. Just that they're sniffing this area is enough to get me really fired up because it's one thing to talk about AJ's family. It's another thing to have Wendy at ringside and, and Joe kind of got in her face, but you got to go that next mile, that next step to really either ruin AJ mentally. And that's why he loses the title or get AJ so damn fired up that he has the performance of a lifetime to finally put Joe to bed and end the feud. Either way they're doing it. That's how you do it. 
So I went back and watched Austin Pillman immediately after because I wanted to just mentally wrap my head around the comparisons. Austin Pillman was better, okay, because it was more adult and whatever. But this is damn close. Well, this is incomplete, so we don't know yet, right? Like no, they I haven't mean that opened segment. that door yet. Literally. No, I mean that segment. I mean you're not gonna we're not gonna see next week what happened last week. You so. don't know that. You don't know that. Unless he unless a door opens and he lifts the covers and he's in bed with Wendy. Okay, I don't think that's what's gonna happen. Okay, so um, look, all I'm saying is I watched it and. First of all, I got great memories of Austin Pillman and just the whole rivalry and that segment, and that was all great. But you said it off the top. This is what we want now. Not every week, but there is no reason that WWE, once a month, once every six weeks, can't send us home from Raw or SmackDown feeling like this. It doesn't always need to be Braun Strowman with his arms in the air or Roman Reigns having just Superman punch someone 17 times or AJ Styles beating... Ty Dillinger in a you know random WWE title match to end the show. Moments like this, storyline endings matter. And doing things outside of the WWE ring, and SmackDown did that also, we'll talk about it later, whether backstage or outside the arena, it brings realism into the moment. And since I am the Silver King and I always have to poke holes in it, the only thing I'm going to say is, oh, no, don't, Grant, don't do it. I have to. AJ, I know you didn't bring your cell phone to the ring. You're in an arena with 8,000 people. I assume you know your wife's number. Go grab someone's phone and call the police. Other than that, I'm great. It was great. The only thing, I, I, the only thing I'd <laughs> give if I'm going to try to give a negative is that AJ's reactions weren't the best. Like, he's not the best actor for he's this situation. He's not a situation. good actor. So that's, that's what that was. But, oh, man. I mean, like, He did do cr- a good job, though, keeping the microphone away so that he wasn't promoing the reactions. Right. But they were. it was not good acting. The crutch, the biggest WWE crutch, essentially, from storyline to storyline, feud to feud, is to not have a story and just alternate every week who interrupts the other guy's match. Or even Correct. worse, alternate every week the same match with the two guys who you're going to see in the pay-per-view anyway. So anytime they can give you this without two guys touching each other, I mean, it's like, do you know, like, that's what makes pay-per-view matches matter? I know we're in an inverted pyramid financially these days, so it's not about building to the pay-per-views as much as we all wish, hope, and need it to be all about building to the pay-per-views, but the special part about the pay-per-view match is that you haven't seen the guys touch each other and fight, and I know that we've already seen these two guys in matches, but you use segments like this to say, man, I think AJ's really mad, because you want to trick yourself into believing. That he's really, right. really, really mad past the point of sports entertainment. You want to get there. You can't get there when they're wrestling each other every week. So kudos to that. So you're right that the payoff isn't at pay-per-view anymore. But the match payoff should be at pay-per-view because you're not going to have the payoff match on TV. So what TV needs to do, since they know that TV is the most important part of their brand and their product now, is they need us to tune in and watch. And if every week it's alternating, like you say, and they do – the exact same thing and different person gets one up on another, whether it's a match or a contract signing or a segment or whatever. I don't need to tune in each week. I'll only pay $9.99 for WWE and I'll only watch the pay-per-views because they're going to give me a four-minute recap of the storylines right before the match. So what they need to do to build their main roster shows is what they did do Tuesday night. NBC, they're not telling one story on SmackDown. They're not telling two or three. They have four long-term quality storylines being played out on SmackDown right now, and that's not even counting Daniel Bryan. So really, it's five. 
They have five long-term storylines going on, and they're telling them exceedingly well. Whereas Raw, there is one. And they're telling them in two hours. SmackDown Live is now the A Show. It really is. And they're telling them in, a, in, a, in just a different flavor than Raw. And, and we love it. We love where it's going there. We love all of that. Uh, I had another point on it, but I forgot it must not it must not matter. But yeah, l- love it. Thank you. Thank you guys for trying so much. Thank you for bringing us back in. Let's see where that's going. And Raw also, like you tease off the top, had a red hot storyline. And when you tease something which Raw did with the potential of Dean Ambrose turning on the shield and you tease it in what raw tends to do in a good way, which is take a storyline, stretch it out over the three hours, constantly hit you with it before, after commercial love that, by the way, when you don't pay it off, there's a potential for it to, to, you know, to get this, this didn't pay off yet. I thought the whole telling of this Dean Ambrose story was absolutely perfect. How they worked into multiple different matches and how I believed at multiple times that he was going to turn. And sometimes like, well, was that a little bit too telegraphed, a little bit too forced? And then I'd get to the point and I'd be like, well, I don't care because I'm in on this. If he does turn, I'm in on it. If he doesn't, I think they're at least planting seeds for the future. And I think ultimately that's what happened. He got the offer from McIntyre, got the offer from Ziggler, had Strowman laughing at him, both publicly and privately. They're basically saying really good points, bringing up really good things from the past that Rollins turning on him and saying, you are, you know, you're you're the odd man out in the shield. You're the guy that they use. They built that so smart, so right, that when it came time for him to make the decision, I was going to be happy either way. And when he ultimately turned them down, you feel like, because look, this super group, the, the Shield 2.0 or 3.0, either however you want to look at it, we never got the payoff from Shield 2.0. It can't last long. They're, they're three giant superstars. So inevitably, that foundation is great because the egos, character-wise, have to eventually lead to breaking up. And they, they set that in motion now. It's going to happen. We don't know when, but it's going to happen. And this is that type of scenario where you could get like, oh, man, they got me to care for three hours and then nothing happened. But yeah. the execution was so great. That main event match was so great that fantastic. This was fine. See, they tricked me and I was happy that they tricked me. See, I so I simultaneously enjoyed what I saw Monday and appreciated what they did from a storytelling and booking perspective and writing perspective, but also thought they did it wrong in that just like how SmackDown ended on a cliffhanger. We have another week until Super Showdown, right? So why didn't they end the show with Ambrose standing between the two sides? And it's a cliffhanger into next week. They told a storyline that WWE in the past has told with teams and and extra and groups and factions, groups in this case. Um, and WCW has as well. You know, is, is Sting going to be NWO or WCW, right? And they played it out over an episode as opposed to a month or two months or two weeks, just two weeks, let's say. So I didn't like that. And it also bothered me that they really did play into the assumptions of WWE fans, us included, that Dean Ambrose will be the one who turns heel and eventually should. And it would be awesome for him to do so. So it's like now when it does happen, they've already kind of previewed it and given us the reasoning and storyline for why he would do so. So. It left me kind of just like entertained in the moment, but not thrilled long term at what they're doing with it. Well, I think and I'm going to this is a rare time where I'm going to try to give them credit and be optimistic at where they're going. I liked that they played on what we all were thinking all this time that Ambrose is going to be the guy that break him apart. Like you said, 
But I think they don't want to do that, and that's not the direction they're going to go. So I'm not against them overplaying their hand as a tease that it might be. And they use that whole... And by the way, Raw can be long and, and, and ridiculous, and three hours can be way too long. You got to admit, though, the, the, the tease of that kept that, uh, that episode together. I cared. I was fired up to see what happened in the main event. Like, I well, really cared. So that's a plus. And two, if they're not going in the Ambrose direction anyway, then more power to them on over-teasing it. Yes. Leaving the seeds there so that you're like, okay, it's Super Showdown. We may see a couple angry faces from him. We may start getting those Mega Powers feels going again. And then here's where the optimism comes in. What if ultimately it's a swerve, double turn, you know, double swerve type of thing on us, and it's either Reigns, big dream, heel turn, probably not going to happen, get over it. Okay. Or just going back to the well on Rollins, right when we're all prepared for Rollins to have this dream baby face run because he finally figured out how to do it. Guess what? He's still better as a heel. He's still, storyline-wise, a dirtbag because he's the one who originally did turn on them. Why not have Rollins turn again, and then we can still get what we really want down the line, Adam, which is a Rollins-Reigns feud that not only matters, but but takes a couple WrestleManias to tell, and it sure. becomes this generation's Rock and Austin. Give these two guys a chance to be this generation's Rock and Austin. And I think to do that effectively, if you're WWE, you got to have Rollins as the heel. The other potential swerve, and I think this one's a little bit more likely, because I think they do very much enjoy Rollins as a face, and having him just turn again in the same fashion is just redundant and repetitive. Like, we don't necessarily need that again. If he's going to turn, it should be longer apart. He's only been a face for a short period of time. Don't forget he was out for a year, right? So he, he hasn't really been a face that long. I think the real tease in that segment, and this would go counter to my issues, is McIntyre. Because they gave, they focused the issue on Ambrose, and they kept us kept our attention there. But they planted the seeds, the legitimate seeds for a McIntyre turn that they planted, started planting when they first got together. So they came to Raw, they were doing well. Dolph lost a couple matches. McIntyre got upset with him. Then they rallied, they won, they won the titles. Everything's great now. They have Ron. but really, it is McIntyre carrying Ziggler, and literally carrying him two weeks ago. They pointed that out. And now that sets the wheels in motion for when the Shield ultimately go over the Dogs of War, if that's what they're calling them. I refuse to acknowledge that that's their name. So then perhaps and, and Ziggler's the one who will do the job because obviously Ziggler will be the one who does the job. It gives McIntyre renewed reason to start turning. And then as soon as they lose the titles, maybe to a team that we'll talk about in a little bit, all of a sudden that's in motion. Yeah, so no, that's that may have been the real swerve. And look, McIntyre is going to be fantastic when he gets that push off of that. And this is why this night in the story overall was told so good over three hours. Because Rollins going to McIntyre and playing reverse psychology on him was not only great, yeah. but it shows you that Rollins is a dirtbag deep inside and a thinker. He's going to be the one that turns because, to double down on my point of this, they're never going to turn Reigns' baby under or, fa- or uh, heel under this scenario. So... Unless Rollins goes to the brand and becomes the face of SmackDown, which you don't think they will because they always keep him and Reigns together for ratings purposes, for Shield purposes, all that, then he's never going to get higher than the IC level. I mean, I think you can do a program with Reigns with them as faces or you have Reigns lose the title at some point to someone. Rollins wins it from that person. Now Reigns is in chase and true, but then he's savage to Hogan in a sense. And maybe and look, if you go that way and you retell the mega. No, he's rock to Hogan. In that case, he's getting know. booed, even though people are, although he'd get really booed. He's savage to Hogan. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to have him heal. I got to have him heal again. So I'm down on it either way. He needs to be, well, no, I mean, Reigns needs to be healed. Like, 
we, we do this often, right? Because it's just always an issue. But the best faces have all been heels at some point. Most of them heels before they were king baby faces. Like The Rock was a big heel before a baby face. Austin was a big heel before baby's face. John Cena was a big heel before baby face. Now, Hogan was always a face and then went back. But when Hogan came back to WWE after being Hollywood Hulk Hogan in WCW, he was a massive baby face. Like the cheers Hulk Hogan got during that like feud with Vince McMahon in like 2003 as like Mr. America were completely unjustified. But oh, yeah. people loved it because he was a heel. He came back. So Reigns at some point needs to go that route. People forget that Cena was a heel first. You know, people forget that like they won't turn him back, but he was one initially. So yeah, they're in too, I don't know. That, they're in too deep uh, with him. So we'll see they are. where that goes. But I'm liking what Ambrose is doing. I mean, Renee likes it. Dean Ambrose looks like he wants a piece of this pie. Oh. Tag. <laughs> He's still tagging that for sure. Tag. Uh, the, the, yeah. ta- the tag exclamation at the end by Michael Cole is awesome. So thank you, Ron Smackdown, for delivering the second part of our main event. Wednesday nights have become must-see on the WWE Network under the new structuring with Mixed Max Challenge coming back for Tuesday night. They have moved 205 Live to pair with NXT on Wednesdays, which makes a lot of sense. And this past Wednesday, because we record our show each Wednesday, fans already know that, had a match on each show that was absolutely fantastic and that I'm proud to include Not in passing notion, not in my field spot, but in this week's main event. Because, Adam, when you're trying to throw me a life raft, when I'm in counseling for WWE proper letting me down, you often throw that life raft of, hey, NXT and 205 are still really good. And you know what, Adam? You're right. Those are the two shows that speak right now in the WWE roster or or universe to my fandom the most. If I didn't have to work this gig, would I watch only Wednesday nights? There's a chance. There's a chance I would. And this Wednesday, they brought it. Wow, this NXT main event. I got a lot of Adam Silverstein texts and messages saying you got to watch NXT. You got to watch NXT. Well, I watched it, Adam Silverstein. You kept right? telling me you hadn't yet. And it took like, how long did it take you? A week? I watched it this morning. All right. But the point, <laughs> oh my is, God. The point is this. Ricochet <laughs> versus Pete Dunne and the first champion versus champion match in NXT history. Both belts were on the line. Title. Titles. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, North American versus UK. I got, I'm going to give it this real quick. Wasn't the best, it wasn't a great episode of NXT. Sometimes, because we love NXT so much, we gloss over the fact that week to week, start to end, you don't always get a full hour of stuff you're glued to the screen for. Well, okay? they don't give you the main event talent every episode, and sometimes they have to just kick the can down the road. There's but, a lot of kicking sure, the can. Sure, you're right. And that's, that's this brand I love, by the way. But guess what? But you, still get Mauro, each... but you still get Mauro calling those matches. Oh, and you get a lot of in-between stuff that's... It makes it feel exciting even if it's not. Sorry, go but ahead. the main events each week, especially lately, are just through the roof. I mean, we just got Gargano and Dream recently. I mean, we just got that tag team title match. I mean, we got everything. We got a what was building to be a freaking classic between Ricochet and Pete Dunne. Holy cow, I love this match. What do you got? What do you got? No. Uh, two of the best wrestlers in the company. Among the best, however many, in the world, right? Um, I think there's a disappointment, and you're always going to feel this way when you have a face versus semi-face match, you know, on a, especially a title versus title match. It's not going to end clean, right? So you're not going to get the finish you want, and the finish generally is the best part of matches like that between guys like that. So that's a little bit of a disappointment, but the match was fantastic. The crowd did a great job getting into it, you know, giving each guy equal support just like they kind of did with the Undisputed Era. Um, what's their mustache mountain? Uh, you know, 
tag match. Yeah, the and crowd really, marked out. Like the crowd was like, "We're gonna yeah. play the role of crowd who thinks this is real," and and sometimes that's friggin' fantastic. Yeah, and and really, it's they're doing a great job. I mean, I don't think they've taped the episodes yet. No, they haven't because it's way too far off. But it's building perfectly into the main event of NXT Takeover War Games uh, ahead of Survivor Series. I'm assuming it's obviously going to be something with Ricochet and the the British guys, British strong strong style against Undisputed Era, maybe a couple of additional pieces. But man, that's a match that's like can't miss. That's going to be like we liked War Games the first one. This one's going to be. Like, imagine Ricochet off the top of the cage. Oh, like, this is gonna be sick. it's going to be insane. It's going to be insane. They got to find a way to put a roof on at least one of those cages. Maybe I'm overthinking. I don't know that. what they're doing. I don't like that. I don't love it, but yeah. whatever. Well, so look, you couldn't have had a winner here because you're not going to have a guy win both championships on regular NXT TV. But I'm not turned off by that because they made this match must see beyond just, hey, I've never seen these two guys together. I want to see what it looks like. But by putting the two titles on the line, it made this average in between. NXT episode, like I got to go out of my way to see it. Although I waited a week, of course. You waited a week, but still, you get the you get the theory, you get the point there. Uh, Love it, just love like it's just great wrestling. They're also it was a little overbooked to have undisputed there, break it up, and then have the War Raiders there. I didn't get what they're building to. A little overcooked there, but the the athleticism of Ricochet against in this case Pete Dunne breaking his fingers, like like joint by joint manipulation, was such a perfect contrast. When Ricochet moves to the main roster, and I believe he will all, I believe he'll skip 205 Live. He may be the breakout superstar that Daniel Bryan was to that level. Now, it took Bryan longer. He'll come in Ricochet with a larger fan base because more people have seen him on WWE television. He is going to be a massive star. He's a future champion. I I think he actually will be one of those smaller guys who gets that opportunity. Now, on the surface level, you're a million percent correct. And the fact that he's African American, you get excited about that. It's like let's do right. Let, let's 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 give him a push he deserves and do right by him. Daniel Bryan comparison is interesting though because Bryan had the underdog story slapped to him and had the beard and had a couple other things where yeah. I think it was easier for the crowd to connect with him. They're going to have to tell stories with Ricochet. It True. can't be or True. you know what he'll be? He'll be Neville on the main roster. He'll be hey here's a guy who can do some crazy finishing moves because you don't if if he gets the Vince Neville treatment. Of oh my god we got uh, we got to talk about how he's the best athlete we've ever seen and hey do that ridiculous uh, flip thing you do every single match every day well yeah more like the Finn Balor treatment than the Neville treatment I think but it's a great point it's a valid point and I did say the exact same things about Finn Balor I was like this guy's WWE champion he's going to be awesome he's going to be main eventing for a long time and we're waiting I mean he, they they were going to I was right for a day twenty four hours um and now it's kind of been couched, I guess, by them. But you said Wednesday night, and we're not just talking about NXT. And NXT, by the way, real quick, they're also weaving in this who, basically it's who shot JR, who punched, who knocked out Aleister Black. They're doing a very good job with those backstage segments and using those backstage interview segments to build other feuds with other wrestlers throughout the course of the show. So I really think they're doing a great job there. Uh, But we would be remiss. And we don't always talk about 205 Live, though we do put it over weekly, especially since Triple H has taken over to discuss the main event from last week's show, which was Cedric Alexander defending his Cruiserweight Championship against Drew Gulak in a match that you wrote thriller. That's really the right word. And we can talk about the entire match. That's fine. I want to talk about one spot because I've never, ever seen someone suplex someone over the ropes, not onto the apron, but onto the floor, caught standing, and then do another suplex coming out of that. The way I'm describing it sounds clunky. It was not. 
That's one of the best things I've ever seen in, on a WWE TV it's show. Insane. It was insane. And, and the match was obviously more than that. But that spot, that gif was going around right after it happened on the Internet. I was just like, what is that? It was similar. I'll be honest. It was similar to the first time on NXT. I saw Neville do his red arrow where you're like, I didn't know a guy could move. I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> right. Like, I didn't know that right. extra quarter turn was possible. This was just great. And then the match had the it had everything. It had a story. It had the perfect contrast of, well, you know what Cedric can do in terms of explosive athleticism. But Gulak doing that. I mean, that dragon sleeper he does, the Gulak, is yeah. just perfect for him. He's put. He's in much better shape than when he first started. Like, he's really going for it. And he even, I like in the storyline, couldn't get the three count on Alexander. So actually broke his own rule and went to the top rope and did a splash and could yep. only get two. I mean, I loved everything about it. A little bit of an abrupt finish, but the whole point is this. That match was more than half of that show. So what I originally loved about 205 Live, even when it wasn't great under Vince's thumb, was that the format is an hour three basically 20-minute matches. So even those right. first two matches, look, it's not always going to be the best story, but you're going to get a long stretch. So to open this card, for example, it was TJP against, let's say, Dorado. And it was a fun match. And then TJP pulled the mask off at the end and hit his finisher while Dorado was covering his face. That little storytelling was great. They started this main event, you know, 10 minutes earlier than they normally do. These guys went for upwards of 20, 25 minutes. And then they spun the story forward, which is in Australia. Alexander's going to defend against hometown guy Buddy Murphy in Melbourne. Not only are you like, holy crap, that match has potential to change my life. Not only are you like, if they do a full Alexander Murphy feud, meaning two, three pay-per-views extended, get us to Mania or somewhere deep, that's going to be great. But you know, Murphy in his home city to get that down under pop from all of our brethren down there, Omar Al-Rashid, all of our guys down there. That's going to be fantastic. Mr. Alexa Bliss finally getting what he deserves. Yeah, I mean, 205 Live as a whole, I mean, we've been talking about how it has steadily improved since Triple H took over. It is now to a point that it's, for me, can't miss. Where even a couple months ago, I was still, oh, I'll catch it tomorrow. You know, I'll just make sure I watch it because I know it'll be good. Now I like have to tune in the night it's on and watch, which has always been how I've acted with NXT couple things in addition to this match that we should talk about with 205 Live. First of all, as you noted, it's been moved to Wednesday. It actually airs before NXT, so it's a rare 7 o'clock start for a WWE show, which I like. It's nice, and because it's on demand, you can watch it anytime anyway. That's good. Now, it's 205 taped, right? They got to change the name of the show. I've always hated the name, always. But now they have to change it, and there is always a chance they move it back after the, after the uh, Mixed Match Challenge. But I really don't think they should. Just NXT, like, even though we know it means next, it doesn't stand for anything. Call this CWC. Make it a brand like NXT is in in that way, okay? And put it at 7 o'clock and leave it there. And the best part about it – actually, wait. Do they air this? Am I wrong? Do they air this at 9 o'clock? I'm not sure when they air it. Okay, I may be wrong about the airing time. When I was mentioning 7 o'clock, what I meant was they tape it at 7 o'clock on Tuesdays before SmackDown. And that crowd difference has made all the difference. Oh, they are. You're saying they are taping it before. They are. They ah. are doing it because they tape, they, they so the air live mixed match more afterwards. fans before than after? Yes. Well, absolutely more because they're in their seats getting ready for the show. Yeah, and no, they're that's more a good at, point. Because that last and, a dark match before SmackDown or Raw starts is usually the crowd is, is rip-roaring because they're excited and ready. Yeah. They're excited for the show. And even if there's fewer, let's say, fans, they're more energetic than the ones that just just sat through a two-hour 
television show with commercials. You're sitting there. You're bored. You want to go home at the end of the night, right? Because SmackDown Live, I mean, watching SmackDown Live and watching Raw Live, it can be exciting, but there's a lot of like four minutes where you're just kind of sitting there twiddling your thumbs or looking at your phone. It's not like a pay-per-view, right? So everything they're doing is correct. Moving it was good. Uh, uh, taping it an hour earlier, or I mean, two hours earlier on Tuesday nights before SmackDown, I'm getting all twisted around here, is better. And just the booking is better. So every single part of it is fantastic in my opinion. Yeah. And we'd, and we'd be remiss. I just want to follow up with you. Uh, are you watching Mae Young Classic yet? I have not, no. Okay. Because it's also Wednesday nights, so that's what I was... They, they, what oh, my point was, May Young Classic is way better than the first one, and I said this a couple weeks ago. So not only are we getting a better 205 Live and a very good NXT, we're getting a three-hour block on Wednesdays that includes very good women's wrestling in the May Young Classic, much improved from previous. I want to give a quick shout-out on 205 Live to the Lucha House Party guys, which is Dorado, Kalisto, and Grand Metalik, and they're all masked, and it's a little bit you know yeah. gimmicky, but... Right yeah. now on the indie scene, we all know what's going on with Pentagon Jr., his brother Ray Phoenix, and Bandito. Anytime those guys are in a match, like we saw it all in, whatever combination they're in a match, they're, they're, they're turning the house down. To right. a smaller poor man's degree, Lucha House Party is kind of doing that to either open or in the middle match of 205 Live. Like any combination they're doing, you don't even have to care about the storyline because the match yeah. is that good. So shout out to all those guys. Grand Metalik, by the way, who I did not know of him previously, and... The first time I think I ever – I don't remember if he was in the Cruiserweight Classic, but oh, he regardless. Was, he was the opening match, yeah. Okay. Um, the first time I really became knowledgeable of him was when he started on 205 Live. And I'm like, oh, great, another luchador they won't really use and won't be great. Grand Metalik is amazing. Oh, He's yeah. well, no, the he best wasn't just of the, the three. opening match. He was in the finals. TJP beat him in the finals. I mean, he went was all it? the way. They gave him a huge push. Oh, okay. So that – okay. So, okay. I'm corrected. Uh, he's, he's amazing. <laughs> My point is he's great. He really is. He's the best of the three. Uh, King of the Ropes, fantastic. All right, the third part of the main event is where I get all kinds of fired up because we're back in the revolution. We're back on, guys, after a little bit of break. We got something NJPW-wise to review, to look forward to. Uh, If I was better on the soundboard, I would tell you about being the elite and all that great stuff and hit the sound. Here we go. Oh, yeah. That's the old song. I like it. I like it. I like the old song better. Bump. Uh, this week in NJPW, Adam, begins with the Sunday Destruction in Kobe card that we teased you last week that had that main event, Hiroshi Takahashi against Kazuchika Okada for the... Tanahashi? Yeah, did I say Takahashi? Tanahashi, yes, correct. You wrote and said it. That's fine. Wrote and said it. Uh, for the rights to Ace's briefcase, that gives him that main event slot match at Wrestle Kingdom 13 in January, probably against Kenny Omega if he still has the title. This match, 35 minutes and 43 seconds with Ace going over. We're going to talk about what happened after because that was huge. What would you think about this match? Because I am I love NJPW. I love these guys. This is, in theory, a can't-miss match, a can't-fail scenario. And I'm not going to tell you it failed, but I will tell you. Like, they both sold out completely. But sometimes NJPW matches are really long. And you're like, I didn't even realize we've already been here for 45 right. minutes. And that was amazing. Like, those yeah. are Okada Omega ones that go 45 and 60. I mean, they're just, it, it's like an experience. I don't even look at my phone once when I'm re-watching them. This was about 15 minutes too long at 35 minutes. And Ace doing like seven finishers down the stretch. I just thought it was a little bit gratuitous and took mm. away. The story was already there. The story of how Ace 
maybe their all-timer, their John Cena, couldn't beat Okada in recent years on this long losing streak to him. Could he finally get one up on Okada and protect his briefcase and prevent Okada Omega 5? The story told itself. And I'm not saying this match was three stars, right? It was, I mean, there was at least enough electricity and high spots to be a great match, but it just missed something. It just didn't, it just didn't, wasn't a slam dunk like it could have been. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a four-star match, and um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. When they just fought, you know, at the end of the G1, so I saw the match. I know what it, I know what a five-star match between these guys looks like, and I've seen it before. So this wasn't one, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. This is not a major show, but you also have to remember that they're putting Tanahashi over Okada twice in a row, so they can't have it be two epic things where. Okada gives his absolute best and then loses. They did that once. Now, the se- actually, was that a, a draw? It was a draw the first time. Yeah, Tanahashi so was they- going for the pin as time expired. Right. So they Correct. It was a draw so we could go to the finals. So they can't have it so that Okada gives his absolute best and just loses by the skin of his teeth. They need him to lose. And for the same reason that we shit on the way Brock Lesnar beat Braun Strowman with one F5 is the same reason why this was good. Because one high fly flow, if that's how Okada gets beat by Tanahashi, you're like, wait, that's it? Instead, he needed three. And the first one he hit that started the chain of the three was like a, not an accidental one, but like he pushed him off the top rope. He was falling down and he immediately jumped on him. So it was like caught him off guard, then hit two more to cement it, won the match. I don't have any issue with that finish because they needed Okada to look a little weak, but not super weak. And that is how you do that as opposed to one F five and you're just dead and you're not a monster anymore. That's fair. It's a, it's a fair comeback. I, I just, with this match and that Okada or the Omega Ishii one, which again was one of those that had so many great moments, but that finish is dragged on a bit. I'm just, I'm monitoring my favorite product from a distance. I'm just, I'm just, you know, watching it for changes and flaws and it's so perfect right now. That now that we're starting to get a little bit well, of it's the not per- it's flaws. not perfect, right? Well, now that we're starting to to notice a little more of the character flaws, I'm just monitoring them. It's sort of like you know, been on a been on a good amount of dates with these guys, but now we're talking about moving in together. I want to make sure it's 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 where it's where it's, where I need it to be. But the close of the match, the ending is really the big story here, and that's when Switchblade Jay White, that absolute dirt hole, comes running in. He not only attacks Ace Tanahashi, he attacks Okada. The announcers are so angry about it; they're going nuts. Yoshihashi comes running down randomly. He gets beat down. He, he blades himself or a blood capsule or something. Dirtbag Jay White's rubbing the blood on his face and through his hair. That part, pretty awesome. And then Gato comes down to defend Okada. Now, what I didn't know, Adam, I missed this in the G1, was after the G1, they announced that Gato and Okada were no, Gato would no longer be in his corner. They're still great friends Before. and all that stuff. Before, I think. I don't think he was with them during the G1. Yeah, they announced it during that time. I missed that announcement, by the way, completely, that he would not be with him moving forward, but things were all right. They're no longer all right. They're no longer all right because uh, uh, Gato took a chair, and he got ripped for it on Twitter here, and rightfully so. (laughs) One of the weakest chair shots in the history to turn on Okada. This is one of those situations where storyline, great. Written, great. Execution, not great. But what did you think about, essentially, what happened next with Jay White putting the finisher on Okada and Gato cutting that promo in both Japanese and English. That's basically anointing Jay White as next. We already know they've been pushing him, but this feels like they're really pushing him when the damn booker comes out and anoints you. 
Yeah, that's the worst chair shot I've ever seen. I mean, it just it was so bad. And those chairs as they are are weak chairs in terms of they're not the WWE steel chairs. So you actually need to hit someone with them decently hard for them to make any impact, at least in kayfabe. And he just like tapped him like you like. I don't even know. Like he was putting it down on a piece of glass. Like that, that's that's kind of the way he did it. Um, in terms of the storyline, I like it a lot. And but it depends what they do with it. So if he's just anointing Jay White, and he, he's the chosen guy, and that's all they're doing, okay, that's fine. I mean, it's a good storyline. They'll fight. It'll be a, a rivalry through Wrestle Kingdom. I assume that gets Okada out of the title picture. You know, gets Jay White busy with something that's not either the U.S. title or the uh, IWGP Heavyweight Championship. So we're in a good spot with those guys. What I would like is them to tell the story of NJPW's English expansion into the United States, United Kingdom, et cetera, and Gato being the booker of NJPW, choosing Jay White as the face of it over Okada, the Japanese star, the biggest star in the company, to push that expansion. If they go that route and they get into a little real life kind of, not Austin McMahon, but kind of the way WWE did during the Attitude Era where they, they would take things from behind the scenes and they wouldn't tell us them in real life, but they would hint at them. So maybe a worse example that was more direct would be the Matt Hardy Lita Edge storyline, right? But doing something along those lines with this would be really, really nice if they just make it where it's all storyline and it's all kayfabe, then it's a little less attractive to me. But it's because I don't really love Jay White. Like, He's better. He's way better than he was six months ago. Not even a question. He came but around still, during the G1, I thought. I thought, I mean. I like, just I just look at him and I'm like, eh. if he's <laughs> He's got to be a dirtbag to make it work because he looks like a dirtbag. And look, when he's yes. rubbing Yoshihashi blood on him, that was fantastic. I like a lot of this. Now, you know I've hated what they're doing with Okada. Coming out with the balloons and the, the – look, when Okada was had the title, he just – exuded such royalty, such class when he would dye his hair blonde and wear the big robes and the confetti would come down. Like that's wrestling royalty right there. And then they turned him into like a red dyed hair, you know, balloon popping weirdo. And, And that's why I've hated that. Now this does have a way to continue telling that story. Now is we don't know why Gato turned on him. They turn on him because he, he thinks Okada's lost his edge, and he thinks Jay White's the real future. If they can keep telling you that and that's spelling it seems that like, out, yeah. then then that then that's great. This could go somewhere good. It also gives Okada something to do when it's clear he's not going to be in the in the the picture of the two biggest titles for the next six months at the very least. Which is fine. Which is fine. And I like when when even when WWE like when John Cena would have the title for nine months, right, and he finally loses it, and they move him on, and then he does go a year plus. Now, obviously, now it's been forever with Cena, but. And he goes an extended period of time, not in the title picture, not fighting for the actual title. That's good because th- what that means is when they eventually come back and when Okada wins the G1 next year, I'll throw the prediction out now and it's going to happen, right? And gets that opportunity at Wrestle Kingdom 2020, it means something and the crowd goes ape over it, right? That's how you book. That that's that is, And that's good booking. So I, I didn't mean to like say it wouldn't be good if they didn't do exactly what I said. It's just, I think it would be more interesting that way, especially for us as English-speaking fans who want, who are kind of curious, how do the wrestlers feel about, you know, them anointing so many gaijin, you know, into prominent roles and with titles? You better feel When's good about the, it, because that's how you're going to get the company out of Japan. And by the way, where's Chris Jericho? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. You'll see him on that damn cruise. Uh, this Sunday... <laughs> no, I won't. 
Neither re- will you. Go the ahead. revolution returns with Fighting Spirit Unleashed, the NJPW's card in Long Beach, California. It's going to air live on the NJPW World site, I believe, 8 p.m. Eastern. It'll stream. It won't air on Access TV until the following Friday, but you do get Kevin 8 p.m. Eastern or 8 a.m. Eastern? I think it's 8 p.m. Eastern Sunday night because it's Eastern time. It's a... Uh, it's, I mean, it's, uh, oh, it's, oh, it's oh, oh, it's in Long Beach. My bad. Friday night, next Friday, it'll air on Access TV. And the hook here is that it'll be Jim Ross and Kevin Kelly. So it's a little bit of the crossing of the streams there coming together on the announcement of basically it's a nine match card. Basically, there's four matches to care about. Let's run through them quick, Silver King, in terms of our ex- uh, our expectations and inspirations here. What do you got? Sure. Well, first one, we have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight uh, Tournament Semifinals, which we haven't really discussed yet. They're doing a tournament because Takahashi, is it Takahashi who had to give it up? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, Had to give up his title, broke his neck in the ring, obviously, because of all the suplexes and crazy crap that they do there. But Will Ospreay against Marty Skrull in this match, which you have Skrull coming out of that Okada match, and you have Ospreay bring Ospreay. I don't know that you could have a better match, and I think it's... No, it's not the co-main event. That's just a, it's the fourth to last match. That's, I, I, that's, I think that's a mistake. But this go ahead. Is, well, this is a steal your show spot. This is a time for these yeah. guys to go out there and absolutely, you know, nail it. I mean, who do you think's coming out of this tournament? Because uh, Kushida won at Kobe over the weekend on Sunday and, right. and has looked great. And that was a good match. I saw that. Yeah, really good match. I, I'd like to see the, the title back on him. I guess it doesn't really matter. This title changes hands very off, very quickly. The matches are very quick. The matches are insane. This is such a fun division, but uh, it's almost like I'm not really that worried about the storyline. Just, just give me a great match. Whoever wins, you know, I'm going to be entertained. Yeah, what, what I want to see from this is a five-star match. I, I don't really care who wins. I think I would prefer Osprey with the title than Skrull. Skrull I like more as a character than I like him as a wrestler. Now, that does not mean he's a bad wrestler at all. Yeah, the Okada match was, was really good. I just care more about him as a personality on being I like him more from being the elite than I do like him in the ring you know admittedly I've I've, I've fallen behind on being the elite since all in have you watched a no and- they haven't they did one show that was a 45 minute behind the scenes of it they haven't done one since they're so, going to come back in October so there hasn't been any storylines nope. off of all in? Nope. okay that's good to know nope they're taking a break I mean obviously deserved hiatus from it um and my assumption is like end of season and then they come back with a new one next year or right. in October All right, next match, uh, we have the IWGP Tag Team Championship, the Young Bucks, against the Gorillas of Destiny. Obviously, that's Tonga and Tonga Loa. Uh, I'll start here since it's a really semi-meaningless match, even though storyline-wise, I guess it matters. I mean, I don't like these guys. Uh, Not from heels. They just, it feels to me like they try too hard. The Gorillas, I'm talking about, not the Young Bucks. Um, it, It feels like they're trying too hard to be badass heels who don't care about things, but really, really care about the Bullet Club, but also don't care. I don't, you know, the Young Bucks retain. That's my prediction. I, I can't imagine Gorillas winning. The Young title. Bucks probably will retain, but I couldn't. I'm on the opposite. I I, lo- I don't like this because I love them. I love what they're doing. I love how over the top heel they are. I love the story they told throughout the whole G1 that they don't care that they're you know they're going to ruin everyone else's match. They're going to blah blah blah. They do have to formally, you know, end their Bullet Club run for this to really matter, right? They have to really, because sometimes it feels like they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out. You know, like they're feeding. they're in the Bullet Club. They're they're in the NWO Wolfpack, basically. Essentially, yeah, yeah. Then they're gonna have to. You know what? They're gonna have to win these titles to make this matter. Essentially, I'd like to see involvement from the entire. They would world. have to win to make it matter, but that that me not thinking they will win makes me think it won't matter. 
Sorry to that's, that's a fair point. I mean, I want to get some Haku action. I want to get other Bullet Club members around the ring. And I think what Tama Tonga's doing, yes, he's trying too hard. He's trying really hard. He's trying really hard in social media, too. I get why it would rub some people the wrong way. I don't know. I just interpret his star value different from people. I don't think he's going to win the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, nor should he. I don't, you know, he's in his late, mid-late 30s. I don't think he's going to WWE and be Roman Reigns. But for what he is... I think he could be a really great heel in that beast side slot opposite a lot of these guys. I'd like to see them win the titles here. I'd like to see them make G.O.D. matter. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Sure. I I mean, there should be a title change on the show. Or a bad injury. They got to badly injure somebody. They got to cut. They got to do something. They got to make a giant statement. There should be a title change on the show, and if there is, I guess this would be it, maybe. But let's talk about the next match. With the G1, with what they did in the G1, which they hijacked it. They hijacked both show, both A and B block. If yeah. they don't get the titles here, then that doesn't matter. It's a, it's Then who cares that they did that? Yeah. And and that's why I don't care, because I don't think it'll happen. But they'll prove if they prove me wrong, they prove me wrong. That'd be great. Um, let's talk about the other title match, though, on the show. If there is going to be a title change, it would have to be here or the match we just discussed. Juice Robinson defending his somewhat newly won United States title, IWGP United States title, against Cody, the current NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. Uh, Does Cody need two titles? No, he doesn't. And I think that they're really working hard to, to, to get Juice to the next level and they've been doing that and his yeah. feud to win this championship that great match they had was that dominion am i correct in remembering that dominion uh, when he won remember. the title and you you thought it was the match of the no that you couldn't have been the match of the night because it was okada juice won juice won the title at dominion i don't remember who he won it from it was for some reason from jay white jay white yeah 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 jay it white. Was a great match um yeah cody doesn't need it right now if they surprised us and went in the direction of cody i'm all for it because Cody's rising. He's rising even more since all in. He's he's going he's going big here. So uh, I think that fact makes it interesting because you're naturally going to go. Well, you got to put it on juice. Cody already has NWA. Who knows how long he's going to keep that for? But if Cody comes away with this, he's a guy who I think makes titles matter. I think he's with that swagger with the with the he's uh, he's an American. If you're going to do more U.S. shows and he's your U.S. champion, so that's not a bad deal. I get that, but but Cody's a little bit more record. I'm interested. I'm interested to see where this Juice, goes. Juice walks in with like the Randy Savage uh, when he would sometimes wear the American flag in his gear. Great American Bash type of Savage. Was that what it was? SummerSlam? I don't even remember. Um, he, he, that's how he like dresses, like with a colonial hat. Like he's American. Like you want to talk about like U.S. champion being American, that's well, juice. I know. I'm I, saying if it went to Cody, there's reasons why it's justifiable sh- and you get it and it would work for business. I, He's on being the elite, all that stuff. But I think between either way, sorry, I'm excited. Sorry. No, no, I'm just saying either way, wherever it goes, I don't really know where it's going. And I'm excited about that. I think it would just be a big mistake to put it on Cody when they are really building juice. They're giving him, even though the promos don't happen in front of the crowd, they, they happen backstage as post-match, you know, interviews type of situation. Um, He's cutting ridiculously good promos and they just made the title change they just changed the intercontinental title they just changed the world heavyweight championship or iwgp heavyweight championship i just don't think it's necessary at this juncture for them to make another change and really i would like juice to get a clean win over someone like cody which would boost him up and then give him a nwa title match on the back end of it and then have cody beat him and then they're even I All good. He's got it in his contract to do that, but that's that's some good booking. I like that. I like that. That'd be great. Sure. All right. Okay. This main event is interesting. Tag team match. We're going to see Kazuchika Okada and his 
stablemate Tomohiro Oishi of uh, Chaos going up against the Golden Lovers, Kenny Omega, and uh, the other guy. With, uh, my, my, my brain's starting to die. Kota Ibushi? Kota, yeah, Kota Ibushi, the third best, second best wrestler this in the world. This is strong style. This, this is, is Kota Ibushi. This is a brain fart. Uh, I pushed that also. This match is... Uh, it's it's weird. It's a little bit weird. It's a little yes. bit weird to throw Okada and Omega back in. Now it's it's a ticket seller. It's a potential yeah. main event. Now I wrote main event. I'm not sure if it's the main event. I assume it is on the, it's the last on the card. It's last. They they keep to their match listings. It's last. It's last. Then uh, it's a little bit back to the well too soon. Now at the same time, with the what these guys have done, meaning the Golden Lovers in terms of tag team quality matches. Let's not forget the last time they were in the States in that tag team main event against the Bucks. I think that's one of the best tag team matches I've ever friggin' seen. So my expectations that this could be great, especially since we just saw them against uh, the, the Golden Lovers against Osprey and uh, who was his t- partner in that match? Was it Ishii? Yeah. Yeah. And that match, loved it. So great match potential, excited. Storyline, we know it's going to be a continuation of Kenny versus Ishii. What else is happening? Why is Okada in this? What does that have to do with the other guy? What's well, going on got, here? Well, you have, um, I mean, Okada and Ibushi just in general, like wanting them oh, yeah. to fight each other is fantastic. I, this match is, hey, we're doing a show in the United States and it doesn't matter to us. Mm-hmm. And this is the, we're putting the four most over guys that we have in a match. And it makes sense because two of them are stable mates and two, two of them are a tag team. Kenny and Ibushi will win. There's zero chance that doesn't happen um, unless they actually would call for disqualification. Maybe Jay White gets involved and they maybe Ishii also turns on Okada and maybe they do that type of angle. I don't know, but I mean, I'm excited for the match. It's going to be great, but yeah, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. And that's again with NJPW. And I've tried to say this previously when criticizing them, not criticizing them for being bad or crapping on them like we do with WWE, but legit criticism is they got two really big shows a year and they got the G1. Outside of that in between, there will be good matches and the storylines might interest us, but there's never really payoffs. And that's the part of the year that we're in. We're not going to have a really big payoff on anything again until January. There's got to be something in the fall. They got to have because they there have, are there's they events. Have a lot of these in between cards that we like that don't get on our radar until like a day before. Then we watch them and we're like, holy crap, that felt like a major. So, they, but again, the matches are good, but nothing is really happening. Like the the Tanahashi Okada match wasn't the the big reveal on that show. It was Gato turning on Okada. But notice that something was, though. Notice something. That's though. a raw. That's a raw main event storyline on a big event. But notice something. They they close the show. With a big reveal. So it's like they send you home entertained yeah. and happy. So you got it. So you just said nothing happens. We're in the season where nothing what I mean happens. Is title um, ch- what I mean is title changes, really big developments. D- again, I Gato Turdy out Okada is a really big development. It just happened on Sunday. It is. I think maybe maybe for people a little more invested in Okada, it is. For me, it's like, well, they haven't been apart for months anyway. So, okay. Right, like, right. I don't know. Right, again, so again, I'm just trying to say that. Even top to bottom, that show, it was good wrestling, but it's not delivering. And I'm the one who always says, don't compare WWE to NJPW. So my fault for doing By the way, why wouldn't you compare WWE to NJPW? No, because I wanted two in the world. Of course, you're going to compare the two to each other. Stop with that. Stop that crap. Because they're different products. Because they're different products. Um, They're pro wrestling. They're going to compete. You have to compare. And and Coke and 7-Up are both sodas, but they're not the same type of soda. Yeah, but you can compare taste and sales and feeling and all that. I would compare Coke and Pepsi. I would compare Sprite and 7-Up. 
Oh, this is the weirdest, most re- absurd debate we've had in a okay, while. Okay, regardless, show, we're, right? we're, we're going on long I mean, anyway, BC. But my point... Oh, right, right. you sound ridiculous. Oh, he's right. Oh, he's right. please. Please. Why don't we slide in to Hero or Zero? All right, we're starting off with a bonus DM slide. Kentucky Long Rifle, what is that, an email? It is. From Matt Van Wormer, at Matt underscore Van Wormer. Love the podcast, totally agree with everything you said under those dirty Brooklyn bedsheets. Yes! I'm going to pause, I'm gonna pause here briefly. Why are the bedsheets so dirty? Actually, that was a really nice hotel, and I got an upgrade of the room. So, uh, and actually, to be honest with you, I say Brooklyn. It was in Manhattan. I stayed what in hotel Manhattan. Did you stay? what, what the hotel show did was you in stay? Brooklyn. So everything about that's wrong. The bed was beautiful. The room was clean. It was in Manhattan. <laughs> but let's go with dirty Brooklyn. What Brooklyn. hotel was it? And are we staying there for WrestleMania? Uh, yeah, it was a little boutique hotel. It was uh, okay. I forgot the name of it. To be oh no, it was the uh, the 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 James Nomad Hotel. It's on 29th Street. It's a nice little boutique hotel. I got the upgrade to the giant room all was great and uh it was only dirty and sweaty as because i ate like a, a i ate a candy bar and i was spilling food all over myself so yeah i, I guess it was pretty dirty then. <laughs> hey let's keep going <laughs> okay uh anyway after that he says how bad is brie bella i <laughs> it's kind of funny when she does the two worst suicide dives ever in one match now her utter ineptitude has hurt another performer. i'm so done with her she is terrible and a lame derivative of daniel bryan thanks for all you do so that's his dm I have a second surprise DM that I added here that I don't know that oh, you hey, saw, but oh, I'll no. save that for afterward. So, BC, here's my question. After hurting Zelina Vega, giving the Miz a black eye, hurting herself by falling flat on her face, and now concussing Liv Morgan, has Brie Bella become a danger to the WWE roster? Yeah. Hero or zero? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolute hero. This is four weeks in a row, guys. This is a little bit different than the Seth Rollins when he was on that run in big matches and big moves. This is a little bit more reckless. And I've seen a lot of outrage. I got a lot of DMs of people hating her. And I've seen a lot of protection of her as well. I'm not saying she's the worst person in the world. But you know what I've said for a long time? She's not a good wrestler. Like, not even at all. She can. She's fairly good. As the sister of Nikki, when they would do the heel twin magic stuff, she's a beautiful, great personality for reality shows and stuff she does on the mic. Her stuff with with Brian opposite Miz in the last few weeks was pretty damn good. I'll give her that. This isn't anything against a post-pregnancy woman coming back to wrestle, but she was never a believable or good wrestler to begin with. She's too thin. And then when you compound this with four straight weeks... And each moment was reckless. That's the problem here. Each moment was reckless. Liv Morgan got knocked out and fell face forward. Yes, she's a danger. She's sloppy. I'm not, I'm not even bringing her pregnancy to her. I don't know if there's any relation. But the relation is she's been out for a while. And now she's back. And she's not good anymore. And we need to demand better wrestling at this point. I'm not saying remove her. I'm not saying hate her. I'm not saying anything. I'm saying I don't want to wrestle her if I'm another woman in that locker room. Yeah, so, I mean, I definitely agree. There's no question. So it's a hero for me as well. Um, she's a seemingly good person, and she's a bad wrestler. And that's not – she's not Lana bad or, you know, Maurice bad, but she's not good. And I think there's a difference in caliber 
between even her and her sister. And you have to remember when they joined WWE, Nikki wasn't great either. But Nikki progressively got better, started doing more power moves and did things that suited her style more. I think Brie, in trying to be a derivative of Daniel Bryan, as Matt said, it's hurting her as opposed to doing what she was trained to do for an extended period of time, which she was perfectly fine at. In this particular case, ring rust is real. And she was not ready to return to the ring. It's as simple as that. Now, I have to make the assumption that she trained with Daniel Bryan, because why wouldn't he You know, help his wife? I would assume that when they were both coming back, they both helped each other. Um, I'm sure she's been in the ring with Nikki doing some training, and I'm sure that before Raw, even those first couple of weeks, she was doing the same. But at this point, I'm not saying take her out of the product. I'm not saying fire her. I'm not saying never let her wrestle again. But she needs to take a step back and kind of say, what am I doing here? And yeah, hide her. That's what you got to do. Because guess what? Nikki has a bigger muscular what? body. Her moves are more believable. You know what Brie does way too often? Power moves. This yeah. Brie mode thing, she doesn't even sell the Brie mode. She like weakly yells Botch it. Mode. It's 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 just I don't know. One, listen, one one time is an accident. Two times is bad luck. Four times is a trend. That's really all there is to say. Yeah. yeah uh, here here is the bonus DM slide I had though. Just a little surprise. Adam X Parsons is back. He Again, said, what twice. We... This guy twice. Wow. Yeah. He. Act, I mean, he actually sends us like seventeen tweets a, a week. Try you know trying to get in the show, and he, one usually gets in. This time he got two. Um, what do you guys think will happen with the Bellas Rousey versus the Riot Squad match? At Super Showdown, now that Liv Morgan is out with a concussion, if it was me, I would make it Ronda Rousey versus Ruby Riot and let everyone else be at ringside. What about you? That's not a bad way to look at it. You can still have uh, Nikki potentially turn on on Ronda if that's the direction. My real answer, I don't really care. Is that a mean answer? I don't no, care. I no, care not. about what they're doing with... Okay, I care about the potential of Nikki and Rousey to be combustible. I actually care about the riot squad getting themselves over of late as a real despicable heel group. But maybe this breathing has soured me. So now I got to pass now. I'm, I'm angry. Now let's I, move on. I am happy that they stopped the BS backstage with them, like just tipping over like a table that had nothing on it. And then they're, Oh my God, they're causing destruction. Now they're actually doing it in the ring, which is kind of cool. So at least WWE got away from. Oh, that. in the receipt, by the way, the receipt from uh, Ruby. Oh, Wyatt, we didn't talk about that. Two receipts. Brie, uh, I'll give her credit for that. And did you notice Brie yelled at her in the middle of that? You know? Yeah. She, that, heard, she got her twice, once with like a forearm, once with an elbow, or maybe it was two forearms. How about Ruby Riot getting lives back there? Wow, you only live once, yeah. One, one of them in that ring is a true veteran. Yes. And I don't mean that Nikki hasn't worked, because she has, but and Brie has too. But one of them is a true independent wrestler, old school type of veteran women woman's wrestler. And it's Ruby Riot, and she proved it in that match. All right, Adam, hero or zero? Badass Becky Lynch beat the hell out of Charlotte during a photo shoot on SmackDown Live and then did the same to Lana inside the ring. There was also a backstage trash-talking segment where Becky got in Lana's face. So hero or zero as to whether you, the Silver King, will finally agree after this week's events on Tuesday that Becky Lynch is not a Steve Austin babyface. She's officially a heel. So I don't want to give an answer here because the way the question is posed is that I didn't think she was a heel previously, which is not true. I've maintained the entire time that WWE is trying to book her like a heel, but they took a step back and made it a little bit more of a badass persona so that fans could choose a side because they were cheering her 
so hard. So they backed off on the part where she was crapping all over the fans. And that's good because it made no sense. And when she crapped on the fans, they cheered it. So they, like the fans just ruined that for WWE. So I, I don't have a necessary answer here. I'll say that the segment was a hero. And the best part of Becky Lynch, despite the attack being great, despite the match with Lana being great, was the backstage segment with Lana. Becky Lynch shone, shine, shone, stood out in that moment like a like the number one woman on the WWE roster because you have Sasha Banks doing absolutely nothing. Bailey is in oblivion with her. Ronda Rousey's doing okay on Raw. She could be doing better. And Charlotte's the foil now for Becky. Becky is the star of the women's division. They made her into it. And she's a badass, whether you think she's a heel, whether you think she's a face, she's a badass either way. Yeah, this is a uh, hero on her performance. This is a hero that she's undoubtedly, without question this week, a heel. Like, let's not fool around anymore. She's a friggin' heel, and she's great at it. And her attack, excuse me while I belch, her attack on Charlotte, and then saying, hey, photographer, get some pictures of this. Like, that's just badass. Like, that's, love it. Love it. She's everything I need her to be. She's every, Becky is everything. She's everything that's right in the world with wrestling. I, I, this, it's just, my tone's a little awkward. I'm not necessarily going down this route. Some people can go down that route. I'm just saying, we love her as a person and performer and her story. And I love the how this person is taking this character and hitting a grand slam. Like this is. By the way, great. Becky Lynch is a bigger badass than Ronda Rousey, and that's a problem. It is because Ronda. This is what Ronda Rousey should have been doing this whole time, in in some way, except more aggressive even. You know what I mean? That This is the Ronda Rousey kind of character of people like you because you're such a badass and you beat the crap out of people. So it's kind of interesting that they're doing it that way. Another bonus DM slide surprise for you, Mark Kajas. That's a guess. C-A-J-A-S. That's also his Twitter handle. Uh, he says, whatever, love SmackDown. But do you think Becky Lynch should get new theme music to go with her persona? I think this one doesn't fit. So I'm going to ask you that same question, but also ring gear. Uh, she needs a new song. Yes, uh, a slow change on ring gear would be nice. They they can they can transition away from what they're doing. We don't need goggles anymore, but we don't need something drastic. We don't need a hair color change. We don't need anything like that. But yes, change the music. That's that's too babyface music. So fair fair question there. Totally agree. All right, BC. The revival lost a match of the week contender to Raw Tag Team Champions Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler, despite dominating, dominating the revival most of the match. And Dave Meltzer apparently has reported that Vince McMahon. Loved it. Wow. All right. AOP then looked explosive in a surprise main event booking alongside Baron Corbin against The Shield. So, hero or zero, that it's time for both teams to enter the title picture on Raw. And I'm going to give you a part two. Hero or zero, that the WWE Raw tag team division has been revived. Yeah, this, 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 you know, pun intended there with the revival, of course. But yeah, this is completely a revival and a, and a major hero that both of these teams need big pushes now. And the AOP thing had started slow. They got Drake Ma- Maverick. They had too many squash matches. What are we doing here? Well, they, they were who they needed to be in that main event match. And the, the highlight was when Roman Reigns and Razar squared off against each other. And Razar's yelling that, that trash talking in another language and physical, intense, loved it. But the star of this question and the star of the night could almost be the revival. They were awesome. And they were awesome, Adam, in a different awesome than how they're already really good. So how are they good? They're really good because they do old school tag team wrestling, quick changes, 
beating you down. No flips, just fists, right? Like they do Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson perfectly. And they did it in the NXT style so well to contrast the high-flying teams they were going up against, American Alpha, DIY. This was different, though. This was more about what they can do individually, I thought, than as a team. Because each time they were tagging in the other guy, that guy would go on a run of high-flying moves and dramatic near falls, the kind of dramatic near falls that deserve a this is awesome chant to break out of nowhere. We're like, holy crap, this match has juice. Feel that like there's something going on here. I didn't know that each of those guys could wrestle at that pace, at that variety of moves. At the, I mean, they were really pulling off finishing move attempts you've never seen before. A superplex by by Dawson with Wilder coming off the top rope instantly with a splash. I mean, we saw creativity. We saw everything. I want the Revival who have only been used, if they've been used on Raw, in like the, hey, we need a heel to get beat up after they come out and talk trash roll. No, put put the titles on them. Like, yeah, it's working out now with the whole Shield versus McIntyre and, and Ziggler thing. That's going to blow up. When that blows up, put the titles on these guys. Let them really be who they're supposed to be. AOP, yes, hero, but double, triple, quadruple hero for the Revival. Yeah, it's a double hero for me as well. I think a lot of credit needs to be given, and I'm not taking away from what these two teams did. A lot of credit needs to be given to Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, and Roman Reigns, who respectively sold out for these guys. Reigns let AOP beat the crap out of him, and Ziggler and McIntyre took a lot of offense for a team that not only are they the champions, but... They're supposed to be really strong and dominant right now. And they went up against another heel tag team and allowed another heel tag team to get a lot of offense in on them. So I thought it was fantastic top to bottom. The Revival, just to kind of follow up on the point you made, their characters are actually in a transition. And it really, it's weird. It started with their tights. So like they went away from the black tights, no flips, just fists. And now they have like this multicolored, they have a logo. And it's almost like they are becoming the WWE main roster version of the Revival, as opposed to when they joined and were just for a long period of time, the NXT version, and Vince didn't like the NXT version. Now he's changed 10% of their gimmick, and he loves them. So it's, I mean, it's it's not surprising necessarily, um, but if that works, that works. You know, I always like NXT guys to be NXT guys when they go to the main roster, and rarely are they. If this gets them on TV more and gets us more matches and gets them titles, I'm fine with it. This is this just falls into a, a drawer of things we complain about WWE that probably won't get fixed. But I'd like a little bit more justification of why somebody gets a tag team title opportunity. It didn't and, make any sense. And yeah. why it would happen on regular TV. And it's okay that they do. But if they just went the extra five seconds of telling you and then they could advertise it. Like, it would have been not bad last week to just randomly do a promo and say, hey, next week, the revival has been 5-0 and oh in the past month. They've climbed the ladder. They will get a title shot. You know, they have earned it. Like, that would kind of make more sense than last minute to just sort of drop. All they really needed is at the beginning of the show or shortly after them go in and say, hey, we really deserve a match. And Corbin says no. And Steph's like, actually, they do deserve a match. Give them a match. And that's it. That's all all that really needed to happen. All right. Number four, Adam, we spent the last month on this show reveling in the entertaining humor that is our truth's return to TV. My man. Whoop. There it is. And that includes, of course, his involvement in the Mixed Match Challenge opposite Carmella. Side topic, Carmella and the new hair. Oh, yeah. I mean. I was going to get it. I was going to get it. Wow. Wow. Okay. After (laughs) Truth opened SmackDown Live with a Truth TV segment on Tuesday and then wrestled The Miz for the second time in less than a month. 
Here's an interesting question for you. Hero or zero to the idea that Truth is doing so well at age 46 that he's deserving of a real push, a legitimate push, and not just, hey, let's create a comedic cameo for him to to, to get some pops. Is he showing you enough that at 46 it's time for him to have a run? So I will answer this question, but before I do, whoop, there it is. What the hell is that? It's part of it's part of uh, Truth's shtick right there. Come on. Comes, what's up is part of his shtick. Yeah, and then at the end of what's up, he says, whoop, there it is, and the crowd says it back to him. It's like he's been doing that for a decade. It's the old tag team song. Come on. Is that re- – wait, he really says that? I have, I have no recollection of him saying that. Truth says "Womp, there it is all the damn time after the end of the what's up song when he gets in the ring, when, when they do the full. Entrance. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to look for it. All right. But I somehow have no recollection. Maybe I think it's so corny that I've completely blocked it out when I hear it. But I thought you pulled that out of nowhere and I was going to make a crisscross joke and that's fine. OK, answering this question. Um, is he deserving of a major push? I think this is the major push. I don't necessarily think what do you what do you want him to do? Be in a U.S. title yes. feud with Nakamura? Yes. Sure. Yes. Okay, I will buy that. Yes. Uh, you want him to be the one who ends Randy Orton's reign of destruction at some point? Sure. I, I, something like that. Yes. But major push to me generally means main event, and no in that case. But they're putting him right in the middle of Daniel Bryan Miz. I think it's a, they're doing a great job extending that feud and that rivalry by injecting some life into it with R-Truth being that life. And what really frustrates me about it is a couple weeks ago, maybe it was two or three, I forget, when they first started this, and they played it out over the course of the show with R-Truth and Ty Dillinger. That's how you get yourself into the main event, so on. They put R-Truth in the main event of SmackDown, and they knew it would get over huge. So if you know R-Truth is going to get over huge, why aren't you using R-Truth more previously? If you know these guys work, why not push them when Kofi is on the top of the ladder and he's about to grab the, the briefcase and people are going insane out of their minds? Why not the next year book him to actually get it? Why not allow him to be a singles champion or a world champion? That stuff really, really frustrates me. Our truth was at the beginning of the show. He was in a huge match. He was in multiple segments and the crowd loved it. We loved it. Good for him. And the last thing I'll say before you get to go Carmella, she is over as all hell after being booed as all hell. I don't know if she was being booed because she was being a heel or because fans didn't like her because she was the champion when there were more deserving women like Becky Lynch and Charlotte. Maybe it was a combination of both. I thought she was a good heel. She's a great face. And her and R-Truth are a fantastic team. And if it only goes until the end of the Mixed Match Challenge, that's fine. I like her. I like the brunette Carmella too. Hero. Yeah, and while she did prove to us on the end of her title run that she could do it alone as a heel and she could really get over, she worked so good off of people. Like she was really good off of James Ellsworth for for stretches of that run. And her and in you know Truth now look are, are are amazing together. I can't answer this question objectively because I love Truth. I've always have. I'm a Truth super fan. Yeah, hero. He deserves more. I think you can really do fun things with him. Even if you used him as a sidekick for a major player, you could do fun things with him. I understand he's old. I understand he's gimmicky. I know why he was in the Golden Truth spot for a while. Look, I get it. I'm not doing anything like, you know. There is no racism here in the world. No, 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 Vince. I know. That's the bottom line. And that's the bottom line. I'm not saying that or anything. I'm just saying. 
the proof is in the pudding, as Floyd May would say. The pudding. I'm sorry. The pudding. The proof is in the pudding. Push the damn guy. He keeps, He's so good as a heel. He really is. What do you have negative to say about our truth if you're out there listening to this and you don't like him? What are you going to say negatively? He's pretty damn good in the ring, too, at 46. There's a couple guys who, before their careers end, deserve something. Okay? Our truth is one. Gold dust is actually another. Um, and Kofi Kingston is the third. Now, Kofi's younger than both of those guys, so I'm not trying to put him in the same category here, but it would be nice to see each of those guys get a huge moment in the sun before they decide to retire. I'm kind of good Kofi, on Goldust. I'm, I'm good on Goldust. I think he's had it. I think but, for Co- but for Kofi, it would be the WWE title. For R-Truth, it might be a mid-card title. For Goldust, it's just a feud or a moment, or it's, it's something where you're able to feature him. He wins the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. You know what would have been nice for Goldust when he fought Stardust with Dusty in the corner. If that wasn't that on, was a big that moment. wasn't on the Fastlane pre-show, that would have been nice in 2015. That would, <laughs> you know, that's what I'm talking about right there. And look, I like Kofi, but he, that would have been nice. Kofi's not a main title guy, so I like. Oh, Kofi that's a, a joke. No, yes, he he's is. not. He's not. I'm sorry. He's he's a main title guy, guy to everyone, but you and Vince he's McMahon. Great yes, he as a tag team guy, he's not a main title guy, and it's not just because I'm a body guy. Anyway, we got to get out of here. All right, uh, last Hero Zero bonus DM slide from Brian Owens at Owens11B. As a person who lives just outside Milwaukee, should I be nervous that the city is a curse to the WWE universe? First, the Mega Powers exploded there, and now it was the catalyst for the implosion of Rusev Day. So Hero or Zero to Milwaukee's reputation, Milwaukee, as they would say in Wayne's World, and whether Aiden English's cliffhanger tease regarding Lana is setting this angle up to truly be something special. Uh, Hero. Now, do I have the confidence it's going to hammer out and be this amazing thing? Yeah, I kind of do because <laughs> they're smart. and Because A, SmackDown delivers. B, they're smart in using Corey Graves, who's texting, but subtly texting while while there's a shot of the announcers. And we, we saw him work the rumor mill ahead of that Kurt Angle, Jason Jordan reveal on Raw last year. I think this is going to be big because we talked last week of whether Rusev Getting into a feud with Aiden English was a step down when it seemed like he just fought for every championship in the last month. You want him to keep going up. I feel like they're giving the attention to detail here that this feud is going to matter. And guess what? Aiden English was awesome this week. And that the way he delivered that Milwaukee thing, the way they used multiple backstage segments afterwards with other people talking about it, Becky Lynch talking about it, I mean... I love where this is going. I love the potential of what this can do to their on-screen marriage and how Aiden's going to worm his way in. I love it. And I, for me being the biggest Mega Powers Explode and teammate fan ever, I didn't know that happened in Milwaukee. So shout out to Brian Owens for bringing that fact into the show. Yeah, Milwaukee's cursed, bro. That's just the way it is. But it's a fun place to go and eat and drink. Been to uh, a lot of Brewers games there in my time passing through. And uh, yeah, so it's a cursed city, but hero to all, all the above. A lot of Brewers losses, most likely, if you were there for those games. Um, it's a hero, too, and I think we just went one, two, three, four straight heroes uh, You know, in this show, which is very rare when we're only talking WWE. But this was great. Uh, the Happy Aiden Day shirt was awesome. Um, and I will take a step back from last week when I declared Aiden English's career basically over in the coming weeks. I, maybe it'll be coming months. Take the L. Maybe, take the L. No, no, not yet, because I still think it's – after this is all over, it's still going to end pretty quickly. But that was a really, really good promo. He's really good on the mic, shockingly good on the mic. Um, Rusev and Lana played it off well. As you mentioned, although I'm being repetitive here, Becky Lynch talking about it backstage was good. But also the crowd 
chanting Milwaukee on multiple occasions, really sold it and brought it home as we care about this storyline. And when the crowd tells you they care, you better deliver and pay it off. All right. Let's touch the field spots to close the show. And I got to just say this. The despicable Randy Orton, I'm loving it. It's almost Switchblade Jay White-like right now, but it's even better because it's Randy Orton. He broke up the Ty Dillinger match against, uh, uh, who, did he, who was he? Who did Ty Dillinger wrestle? Nakamura, right? Nakamura, that's right. Nakamura. I love America. I love I love Nakamura, so shout out to that. Nakamura. Nakamura, if you will. Apparently, I won't because I can't find the soundbite because I never can find the soundbite. But uh, the point of that is... Orton ended the match early by attacking Dillinger. We weren't really sure what's going on. Why is he attacking Dillinger? And by the way, he beat the tar out of Dillinger. (laughs) That's why that moment was so great. It wasn't just, oh, let me hit one finisher. It was like, let me turn around three, four times and just beat the crap out of him. And they sealed it after commercial with an interview with Mike Rome and this line where Rome asked Orton, what's your problem? You just going to start attacking people randomly now? No, I think what it boils down to, though, Rome, is that perfect 10 crap just pisses me off. (laughs) So that ruled because it was delivered so well because he just crapped all over that gimmick. But I felt a tease of like a Ron Simmons dam in there. I felt like (laughs) this can become a thing where he just goes and takes out a mid-carder. It gets that person on the card, by the way. And then he craps on their gimmick, and then he says it pisses him off, and then he walks off, and eventually you match him with somebody. I kind of got the feels here. And I know we just already took the WWE Championship and put it into a Miz and Daniel Bryan feud or Samoa Joe winning it, and we already went deep with it down there. But I still want to see Randy Orton and AJ Styles in a big program. So I wonder if they're just putting Randy Orton in the bullpen, keeping him around. He sent Jeff Hardy into retirement, beat the crap out of, uh, you know, Ty Dillinger. Hey, next week, he's Slater. Right? Why not? Like, let's do it. Let's keep this going. Big time feel spot for me. I love Despicable Randy Orton. Legitimate question. Is Heath Slater even on SmackDown? No one knows. No one really knows. <laughs> I legitimately have no idea. He's got kids. Come on. He's, he needs a That's a good. That is a good feel spot. I definitely love that. Uh, so mine are all audio. Do you have those audio clips or no? Yes. Yes, I have the audio. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. I asked. But sometimes BC can't find him. Sometimes he doesn't deliver, which is very rare. But you never know. Uh, so I have two. Uh, the first one was just a single line that Triple H delivered outside that limo. Well, I and I really sound. I don't have that sound, no. <laughs> okay, well, the first one was that. You can't have two field spots. Come on. We're already no, it's two. It's show. two because they're all audio-based, and, and they're both worth mentioning. So Triple H outside the limo getting interviewed. I forgot who the interviewer was. But the fact that she had the guts and kayfabe-wise to go up to Triple H as he's leaving the arena, interview him, and ask him like three different questions was really cool. He drops this line about the Undertaker feud. As far as him taking my soul, I sold that a long time ago. Big pop from the crowd, big pop from me. But really, the real feel spot, a social media promo from Heavy Machinery. They showed Heavy Machinery barbecuing a couple steaks, uh, tomahawk steaks, I think they were. And Otis Dozovich, Dozovic, whatever. Dozovic, he's a comedic star. Love that guy. Who is going to main event NXT, and I say tonight we tape on Wednesdays. This week's edition of NXT against Tommaso Ciampa. Cannot wait for that. He delivered two lines during this minute 30, you know, look into them barbecuing that had me R-O-T-F-L rolling on the floor laughing. Here's the first one. It's not about the speed, though. It's more about the accuracy. Can't control my load. 
That guy's so brilliant. Listen again to the beginning of what he said. What are you doing? Love that guy. That guy's brilliant. Every time he's on Twitter or whatever, when he's trying, because you know, he loves man, he loves uh, what's her name, uh, Mandy Rose. Yeah, he had that whole scheme he's of tweets where yeah. he's like obsessed with her. That guy is a is just comedic gold every single time. I think he came up with stakes and weights. Like that's him. When I think of stakes, it and had to have been him. It had to have been. And he, if you told me that heavy machinery would work on the main roster six months ago, I would tell you no way. I completely have changed my opinion on them. He is so entertaining, and they're so good as a team. I actually think that one day when they make it up to the main roster, it's going to completely work. Yeah, he really has potential. If you've seen him do his warm dance and, he, and he's a great house show guy for NXT, he's got potential to be a Santino if Vince is still Absolutely. running the show. You know, and, and it's not that he's not strong and can't work. He's a fun wrestler, man. He really is. I mean, he's really good. He really is. And, and, and he just has the timing and the material. And there's a lot of really funny segments you can find on YouTube that WWE has put out where they just allow him to create his character. Him and uh, Tucker Knight went to uh, Paris on an NXT tour and they went into a little shop and bought some uh, macaroons. It's hilarious. But that specific one you mentioned that we got the sound from where they go to the grocery store, they cook steaks in the backyard of their house. Go check that out. There's so many little physical comedy moments there that are so I want us. I want us to recut those eventually and just, just get his line at the end because if those should be in every episode of this show. Those two lines, I'm inflammated, and I forgot what the other one was, spraying my load or what. Like, <laughs> that's fantastic. There's multiple uses for them. But I love them. The reason I think that I didn't like them before and I like them now is they had that, like, construction sign attire that was so cheesy. Yeah, but that was the and point, they, though. That, it was the point to laugh at them. Like, like, I know, but they've moved away. Now they're like serious stakes and weights, dudes, and it's so much better. I, I really like these guys. Really love Otis. Absolutely. All right. We're out of here, Adam. That'll be another week. That was the show has been saved for another week next week. I don't know when we're going to b- record this thing, but we're going to have to preview the uh, the the Thunder from Down Under tour in Melbourne. Hey, somebody sent me a DM. Some I got to give somebody credit for it. They wanted to they, they had a name for what we should call it. And I don't want to give away. like a nickname. OK. Yeah. And I don't want to give it away if I can't give the guy credit. I'll have to do that next week. All right. Why don't we save it here? Cliffhanger. Smackdown gave us a cliffhanger. Cliffhanger ITC. Find out our new nickname if you liked it that much for WWE Super Showdown on next week's show. Yeah. Yeah. The guy nailed it. All right. So uh, follow us on all the things. You know what I'm talking. Give us that five star review, though. If you if you're somebody who thinks about it, yeah, well, you, pick up the phone's already in your hand. Pick up the phone. Give the review. Write a little sentence there. Crack a joke. Whatever you got to do. Hey, put yourself over. Whatever. Do it for the show. That's how you pay us back for the time that we put in. But next week when I'm in Vegas for Conor McGregor, Habib Nurmagomedov, the biggest fight in MMA history, at some point we'll find a way to get this show recorded. Hey, Is it? What, what, do you got? what do you got? What do you got? Is it the biggest fight in MMA history? Yeah, it's going to exceed. So the MMA pay-per-view record is 1.6 from the Conor Nate rematch in 2016. Dana thinks this can do two and a half million. He said three in separate interviews. I think it can do between two and two and a half, and that's a but lot. But isn't there a difference, though, between most buys and biggest? Like, some of those fights, 
maybe when it yeah, was in its infancy uh, from or historical precedents, you can argue that, like, let's say in Pride, a Fedor versus Crow Cop heavyweight championship match where people would wanted to see that for so long type of deal could mean more. But I don't know, dude. I mean, Connor was the champion, stripped of the belt for inactivity, went away for two years, came back. There's an unbeaten destroyer with his old belt. There's a Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali parallel in there. I'm not comparing them to them, but I'm saying there's a parallel to one guy getting stripped and coming back. This is a grudge match. It's a perfect style match. It's got a great storyline. It's the two best guys in the best division. It's everything you would ever want for an MMA so, fight. So for more on that, be sure to listen to the MMA episode of ITC next week where you'll have BC talking to someone who knows a lot more about, about mixed martial arts than me, who knows absolutely nothing about it. King Mo, it's a great episode. Be sure to tune in next week. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And, uh, you know, with nothing. Hey, by the way, there are rumors that Nick, uh, remember that guy Nick that used to come on the show? Who? I mean, Nick, Nick Jackson? Nick, uh, he used to be the host of the. Uh, oh, no, Nick Jackson's never been on the show. That's right. In this Campbell podcast. Yeah, that guy. That guy. Yeah. Not only did he not win it, I felt that he lost it. That, that guy's lose. That guy's took a lot of L's the last time he was on the show. But uh, there are rumors that uh, he's, he's planning a comeback. So, you know, there are Nick fans out there. Uh, I don't know when. You never know when. Him and I are still working through it, working through our stuff, but we could see him again in the future, but, you know, that's a, there's another cliffhanger for you. We'll see, hey, look, it's over, the interview's over, let's end the show. Interview! Interview's over! Understand? Done! Yeah, I understand. Um, we used to have the little candy all the time. I used to like that. That was when I used to know all the buttons. I like the, sa- I like the Savage Drop better. Way yeah. better, actually. Yeah, alright. Hey, hey, uh, check out the Real Ones single on YouTube. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Essentially, do whatever you want. Uh, we're out. We out. That's it, Adam. I'm sorry. Two words for you. We out.